Welcome to the OmniTalk Fast Five, sponsored by Takeoff and the AM Consumer and Retail Group. Today is April 22nd, 2021. I am your host, Chris Walton, and I'm joined as always by Ann Mazenga. Oh man, what is happening today? This is going to be crazy. This is going to be such a good show. And it's her swan song, everyone. E-T-I, Emma the intern. Emma, how are you? Emotional day? How are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, I'm like very, like, it's sad and very happy at the same time. Yeah, and our, our little intern, our little Emma the intern's all grows up. I mean, oh my gosh. I'm, a, I'm a wash with emotions. I'm a, a gape with a, what's the word? I, I just I have so much going on, so much running through my head. How are you feeling? I mean, talk about like a leap out, Emma. I just want to take this time, first of all, to say thank you. Emma has been such a great contributor to everything we've been doing at Omnitalk for the last year plus that she's been a part of the team. And I mean, I think it's just, you should be really proud, Emma, of the position that you got and that you're going to this new company. Like, it's a big deal. Yeah, where and, are you going? Yeah, tell us. Tell the audience. All Everybody right, I'm... No. Yeah, I'm going to Flywheel Digital out of their Baltimore office, and they are kind of an e-commerce agency that helps big companies perform as well as they can on Amazon. Fan, you're moving, you're going to move to Baltimore, right? What's, uh-huh. what's, what's the nickname? I don't know the nickname for, is it like B-Town or like, what is, what oh do people God. call Baltimore? Charm uh, City I, is what I'm seeing Charm a lot. Charm City, of. you're going to mm-hmm. Charm City. Charm City. Well, Emma, we are not going to let you off the hook easily. And so everyone oh, listening is going to have to indulge us for a little bit here in the beginning because we have to send Emma, the intern, off in the right way. And you created some some special things here I'm noticing on video. And if anyone's only listening to the podcast, you may want to head to OmniTalk to check out this video because, and what, what have you created for today? Well, those of you who are watching this live will see uh, that we are taking it back to 1998, the year that our dear Emma, the intern, was born. And in doing so, have decided to post Chris and my uh, photos from that year, 1998. And we've got a little bit of some time capsule stuff to celebrate the year that our dear Emma, the intern. Yeah, if, it, to this if you're watching, it's a baby picture of Emma. I think it's me literally on my 21st birthday because that's the year I turned 21. And then oh Anne's rocking. Anne's got an Abercrombie and Fitch logo going. And when was oh the last God. time you bought something from Abercrombie and Fitch? Like, honestly, honest. honestly, I cannot tell you, but I was rocking Abercrombie and Fitch so hard. If you'll notice the hemp necklace, and if anybody has watched, uh, Pen 15, the show on Amazon that basically takes place during this year that we're talking about right now. You'll notice the like two strands of hair dangling down the greaseball hair, like definition of this year, teenage dirtbag. I would not let my children hang out with this person in the <laughs> that person. The, what about what about the person in my like the frosted tip? Those are some frosted tips I got going on, man. Those, I mean, who did you have those done or did you do them yourself? Oh I have yeah, to no, know. those were done professionally. That was sunning. Oh, oh I no, had the cap on and they pulled it through the cap and like all that stuff. Yeah, when you see Ashley, you say- that was her name, Ashley at the Stanford Shopping Center. Oh, so it was like a me. legit salon. Yeah. This is not yeah. like some girl in oh. your dorm room at Stanford no, no, no. who's like doing the cap. Okay. No, that was All for right. painting my toenails. But anyway, we oh, digress. We digress. Right. Yeah. Because right. that was a trend back then. Painted toenails and tivas on dudes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, no, no more. No more. It's not worth spending any more time on that. But signature part of the show. Normally do How Millennial Are You? When Carter Jensen left, uh, left last year to take his job at General Mills, we did How Gen X Are You, Emma? So we're going to do the same thing with you. And all the questions have to do with the year of your birth, 1998. So are you ready? I think so. Yeah, you're, you're not. You're gonna, this is going to be an <laughs> ultimate fail. 
All right, first question. Which of these songs topped the Billboard charts in 1988? Truly, Madly, Deeply by Savage Garden or Kiss from a Rose by Seal? Ooh. Have you heard either of those songs? You need us to sing them. I wanna bathe with you Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much Any idea, Emma? Any idea? Any idea? You got a 50-50 shot here. The first one. Ah, yes, of course. Yes, yes. Truly, that was the one Chris was singing in case you didn't get it from that version of the song. Truly, one of my all-time favorite songs. I love that song. All right, second question. Which movie won the Oscar in the year of your birth, 1998? Oh, I have to to know. It's a huge movie. I may be giving you hints. I suck at movies. We all know this. Oh, I don't know. It was really, Can you give really a hint? big. I am. It was really, really big. I was like two months old. How am I supposed to know? Look Titanic. at that cute little baby. That cute Titanic. little baby. Titanic. Titanic. Actually, I knew that. I did, did know that. I know you knew okay, that. Okay, I knew yeah, that was 98. Right. Yeah, okay, here we the go. Teenage right. dirtbag over here told her parents she was going <laughs> to Titanic several times, let me tell you, and was not going to Titanic. I, I'm to not kidding. Going to. It's like yeah, it's three, I'm over three hours long. And of course, we went to the theater that was like a half hour away. <laughs> I went to I went to a couple parties on Titanic, so cheers to you. That's a great one too. They're like, what happened to the movie? Oh man, there was this huge shipwreck and like this dude dies and like the, the, and she's alive and whatever. I they think f- it was 2000 before I actually saw the movie. Yeah, right. To be honest. Yeah, yeah. And you're no better off either. All right, last question. What, this is awesome. This is so appropriate. Which famous trial took place in 1998? Hint, it may have to do with interns. What? <laughs> I have you're, no you're idea. Hit yourself and you don't know this. Famous interns in America: Ross, the intern; Robert De Niro, in the intern; and one really big one that everyone always mentions: Clinton impeachment trial. Woo! All right, Monica Lewinsky. Okay. Yeah, okay. Monica Lewinsky. Um, yeah. Okay. 1998. All right. That's yeah, you fair. failed miserably, yeah. Emma. That was pretty <laughs> terrible. It's a good thing that you're going into the world of digital, where you can use all those fabulous Generation Z skills that you've acquired just through your birth in 1998. And with all that said, and I think we got to get to the show. Yes, let's do it. (laughs) I don't know if I can take anything seriously looking at those frosted tips, Chris, but let's give it a go. (laughs) Yeah, neither neither could most of the women in my life back then. All right, we've got a great show today. In today's Fast Five, we're going to discuss Amazon building hair salons, Taco Bell going full-on digital, AFI's biggest store in the United States, Amazon's new furniture assembly program. But first, we are going to take off, see what I did there, with Lululemon getting into resale. News this week, according to Footwear News, quote, the Vancouver-based or Vancouver, Canada-based company announced today that it was, or announced this week that it was piloting its first ever e-commerce program dubbed Like New as part of its broader commitment to sustainability and as part of its impact agenda, end quote. So starting next month, it sounds like in California and Texas, people will be able to take part in the trade-in program, which will, and then it plans to expand into more resale opportunities in these markets in June. The retailer Lululemon has about 80 stores in both of these states. So it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out. Shoppers can opt in to trade in their gently used, uh, also opt to trade in to use their gently used, that is really hard to say, Lululemon clothing by mail 
in exchange for a gift card. I got through that somehow. Holy, Holy moly wow. buckets. Holy moly buckets. All right. First question, Emma, we have to do it. Put on, put me on the spot from A&M. Of course. They wanted to send you off in style, of course. First, they want to say congratulations. They love listening to you. They're sad to see you move on. But their big question here, they're pretty behind this. They think it's a great idea on Lululemon's side. Are you, are you thinking the same thing? And then bigger question for you as a consumer, would you buy reused leg, leggings and Lululemon wares? Will your friends or, and do you think it makes sense as a consumer model? Yeah, I love this. I totally do. And I think that most people will be willing to buy these secondhand kind of Lululemon items. They still, they get an incredible resale value across all the different kind of resale platforms. But I think what's important to note is that like, I trust Lululemon to sort through the product that comes back to them and like throw out the ones that are really stretched out, have pit stains and whatnot. That's kind of what I've seen people talking about. Like who wants secondhand gym clothes? But I think like, I really... The products are super high quality to begin with, so they don't stretch out that much over time. That's and true. I just trust Lululemon to clean them and like put pro- quality products back out there. Yeah, I love this. I think this is a huge step forward and good for them. Have you done this already by chance? I mean, you're kind of the posh marker, like you're kind of up to speed on everything that's going on in this market. Have you ever tried to resell this yourself or, you know, purchase any of it yourself already? I have sold Lululemon leggings on Poshmark yeah. and I've bought used ones on Poshmark and new ones on eBay for like a discount. So I'm all over this. It, it's, you save like 30 to $40. And I mean, usually things are in really good condition. And you probably get a good capture on the resale too. I think. I oh, know. Yeah. Anne, yeah. And is what's your experience there? Have you done any of this stuff? What are you thinking here? Are you loving this? You know, gym equipment and, 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 and gear better than anyone on this podcast. What's your take? Well, so I I got this story sent to me from one of our listeners at Lululemon, and she and I have been talking about them getting into resale for over a year. I'm like, when are you guys getting into the market? Like Emma oh. said, I've I I wear a lot of it. I've, I'm a Lululemon ambassador person, so I go through a lot of this. And so yeah, you just you get to these having these items that you're just not wearing anymore. I've sold things that are original like my first i just sold for example my first top that i ever bought at lululemon for 35 dollars on poshmark that thing is at least 12 years old and i just sold it for 30 dollars. and i mean you just i think you say what condition it's in and everything but people are still willing to pay for that name i think it it's a great idea on lululemon's uh behalf it allows them to get credit for the for being part of the circular economy it allows them to get a profit if they want right now they're donating that to more sustainable measures that that was crazy they said 100 percent of the profits are going to be reinvested into their sustainability efforts that's a key piece of that story i'm glad you brought that up yes but i think that you know we we heard from nike they're doing a refurbishment program similar to this i think there's just going to be a waterfall now of brands who are starting to get into the circular economy as not only the gen z uh and millennial groups are are buying resale but i think it's going to become more ubiquitous as we kind of go through the next couple of years i know i've certainly increased my resale purchasing um within the last two years for sure Okay. So you like, so resolutely you both love this. I think that's what it sounds like. You love it from the consumer side because it sounds like you think this behavior is already out there. You've been indulging it and you've been asking people at Lululemon that you know, why haven't they been doing this already? 
business wise though, you think it let's a couple seconds on this. Like you feel like it makes sense to like anything that, that you're thinking about from an operational perspective, branding perspective, are there any negative potential fallbacks, even though everyone thinks this is a great idea? It sounds like right now. I'm having a hard time finding the negatives. I think Emma pointed out some of the things, you know, there's always this issue, but you have that issue with returns too. Like, are you going to put a product back out? Does it have makeup on it? Are there deodorant stains? I mean, I think that there's, there are logistics involved here, no matter what. Um, but I think that the brand themselves owning this entire market, this whole circular market of the products makes so much sense. I think right. it's a brilliant test for sure. Emma, you, any, any negative externalities to this that we're not thinking about or talking about? I've got one. I've got one watch out, but I'm curious. What do you guys think, Emma? I'm kind of still, like, I'm on the same page as Anne. Like, it's okay. a lot more work to bring in this product, make sure you can actually sell it and, like, be re- reputable for your sale. But, yeah, otherwise, I think that it's great. Yeah, I, feel, I mean, I feel the same way. I mean, I think if you're already seeing this consumer behavior, people want to do it. So if they're wanting to do it and you're the brand, why wouldn't you try to capture this? I also love that they're saying they're going to, funnel 100% of the profits into other sustainability initiatives. Because then you're just saying like, I'm running this as a marketing handle. As long as it doesn't lose money, I'm going to keep doing it. I think the key for me though, is the how you do this. Like I, I would say, and I think this is true with anything. You can try to throw the whole kit and caboodle, the kitchen sink and everything. I would still be looking at how do you do this very digitally forward first and create mm-hmm. that interaction because that's what you guys have been talking about. I'd be leery of the like, getting into the situation where like you're returning to store and then there's like a section in the store that's oh no way all this stuff so you agree like don't ever go that way completely disagree disagree. wow you disagree oh vehemently you're gonna i think you're gonna downsell your brand no way i think that what you're doing with this i mean it's not just poshmark that you're making money like i've sold stuff at the consignment stores that are you know the upsales consignment stores i think this is perfect you are bringing people into your store who otherwise may never have stepped foot in there because they know they can't afford 98 dollars leggings oh so So you think there's that it's a way to attack a new market 100 100 the lululemon headband effect i call it Mm. like where you can buy the 20 dollar headband just to have a piece of the brand. I think this is brilliant. You will get me in there to see what you have in consignment and I might pick up a t-shirt and then I might pick up leggings or I might save up for a special occasion purchase. I I completely okay. have to disagree with that. Okay, I think that's I think it's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. Now let me ask you this though, pointedly. Yes. Would you just start doing that or would you experiment slowly into whether or not you're right about your answer? I think I'd still say digital first and try to understand how much volume, how much demand is out there before I would try to do something like you're describing. I don't know. I feel like digital first, for sure. Like figure out how to get this on the platform so that I can buy it online or offline. But I think having it- That kind of stuff. Yeah, I think- By mail, whatever. Exactly. I think having it in store, what's the harm in that? What's the harm in that test? Like- if, that I test, mean, if you, you te- you, but you still test it, right? Like, yeah, say, sure, okay, sure. I love this so much. I'm gonna, okay, got it. I okay. would, I would test it. I think it makes sense to do it how they're doing in just a couple Maybe of states. It's so it's interesting, fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Cause you could also go like the outlet style Lululemon store too, where you're specifically diverting you can your still traffic do it there. there. Do you like one of those ideas better? I didn't think we'd spend this much time on it, but it's cool. I don't and, know. And that what, it, what do you I, think? Would you, would you have it in the same store or divert it through kind of like an outlet strategy? I like it in like the regular, like mainline Lululemon store. I think that what Ann said, like 
you'll bring in people who don't want to spend full price, but then they'll see the other stuff in the store and they're like, oh, maybe I do want to eventually kind of move into full price or pick up one item here and there. I like the latest yeah. colors, the latest. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Like if you're doing your assortment, right, the colors and the styling and the fit, you may want to actually go into that. Fascinating to watch. It. The cool thing is it's super easy to experiment, but just do it in pieces. I think that's like the key point that I'm taking away from this conversation. All right, let's do headline number two. Who's got that one? All right, you guys, this was creating all the buzz in the retail world this week. Amazon is opening a hair salon in London's Spitalfields district, a place that sounds much more lovely when Oliver Banks or someone with a British accent says it and not. Spitalfields? (laughs) Or Chris trying to have a British accent. Uh, So Amazon has hinted that they're using the salon as an experiential venue where they will showcase new products and technology, including augmented reality hair consultations that will allow customers to see what a new hair color or style looks like on them. They will also be using augmented reality to do uh, what they're calling point and learn technology. So customers can point to products on a display shelf and uh, they can learn more through videos and other content that will appear on an adjacent screen. And finally, they will be putting um, QR codes on those product shelves so that you can scan uh, with the Amazon app and order that product directly via Amazon. You guys, everybody's freaking out. I want to hear, Emma, what do you think about this? Let's start with you and then we'll go to Chris. When I first initially like read this headline, I was kind of like, why? But then I thought more about it. And of course, I saw all the people talking on LinkedIn. And I think like, most people were kind of saying like, it doesn't matter about a hair salon. It's just like Amazon's business model, expanding into every category imaginable. But what I will, what I'm most excited for is if Amazon ever can make like a super high-end kind of fashion store using this kind of technology. So that is something I would fly anywhere to experience to see if they can really make like the department store model work better and just be more exciting. Yeah. Chris, go ahead. What are you thinking? Oh, I love this story. I love this story, especially in light of late breaking news, like right before we went on to record right. the podcast here today too. Like um, it's, there's rumors now that Amazon is going to go do, do full scale Amazon go grocery with the just walkout technology. Bloomberg's reporting that today. So like, I think you got to put that in context, but I love this story. I don't think it has anything to do with hair care at all. I think it has to do with tech and foundational tech. Now, one point, the beauty, the beauty industry, one that Amazon has not had a, you know, uh, has not had the ability to penetrate to this point. So there's a lot of money to be, to be had there. So maybe that's a part of it, but I think this is really about the future of in-store experiences and technology. So like, let's think back, think back to the Amazon go people forget the Amazon go technology likely started from Amazon, go, Amazon's bookstores. Remember that? And when was that? I mean, we were looking at that in store of the future, like 14, 15, 16, yeah. This it's been a while. percolated for like 10 years, but that's where the vision tech started. And does, does just, does point and learn, as you said, point and learn technology sound like anything else? It sounds like just walk out technology. There's something here. And the, what I, what I think that there, there is that they're starting to experiment with is gesture recognition through a physical space and how that combines with AR to light things up. Right. And a great place to try to do that because it seems like the front end of that is beauty. You're seeing a lot in terms of augmented reality around beauty. That's just a great way to learn that. But that has applicability to Emma, to your point, to department stores, to every other retail experience. And God knows where point and learn goes eight to 10 years from now. So I I freaking love this. Yeah. What do you think? So I I completely agree, you guys. I think for me, this it does still have to stay within the beauty category because I think mm. as you think about the 
for two things. One, I think if I was Sephora or Ulta, I would be concerned about this test because I think that there's, there is applicability, um, in that area for sure. Um, especially as you think about who can license the tech, the just walk out technology or who's interested in licensing that technology. But second, I think that and the announcement today, Chris, about the grocery store expansion is so critical to this like test because when you start to think about convenience stores right now or grocery stores, you know, they're at a 7,000 square foot footprint right now. And that's mostly produce. That's mostly like grab and go food. But when you start thinking about making Amazon fresh, more of the one-stop shop, you beauty is the next logical category. When you think about shampoo, you think about, you know, personal goods, essentials, things like that. And if I am using just walk out technology and I am now able to instead of pulling a bunch of stuff off the shelves, confusing the cameras and putting things back and smelling things like you have to think of the sensory experiences that are happening within the beauty category. If I'm able to use the point and move technology to see what that product is on a screen, I'm not taking things off the shelf. I'm simplifying that beauty experience that I think Amazon could be trying to solve for as they think about expanding their grocery concept to include a beauty aisle, to include an essentials aisle and some of these other things. So that's that's the kind of tie-in that I'm wow. thinking makes so like kind of sense go up, maybe then they go into a one-stop shop kind of thing well, exactly well, if you start of- you, yeah you start to think about even a traditional grocery store has some of these aisles and we don't see those in Amazon Go concepts yet but right. if they're going to compete with the other grocery stores you're going to need to be able to pick up those drugstore beauty items yeah it's a micro experiment I see what you're saying there in terms of the square footage I got I was confused a second but now I get it in terms of like you got full-scale grocery at 30 to 40,000 square feet you got convenience stores at you know like one to three thousand even smaller if you're hypermarket. The other thing too, though, Ian, I think the last point I would make here, and then we'll go to story three is think about who runs beauty salons too across the country and across the world. It's a lot of mom and pops, not that different than like Amazon Go. And so if we can get to the point of the technology where it is scalable and easy for mom and pops to use, there's nothing to say they wouldn't eventually go onto these types of platforms too. And I, you don't agree? With, I don't know. Okay, I, I actually ta- I actually talked to a couple of salon owners about this yesterday because I was curious what their perspectives were. A lot of the technology trying on hairstyles and stuff that already exists in the current salon, the, the higher end luxury salons. I think maybe that makes sense actually for the non mom and pops to bring in this type of technology before it does the the individual or independent salon owners. Yeah. And I'm talking more about the full operations. Like if you could get the whole full operations figured out, there's a lot of cool things like you can tie it. To their own front to sell the products online, that kind of thing too. I think there's, sure. I think there's some applicability there. And again, it's a long, long, long road. Um, and by the way, I'm going to try to do, we're going to try to bring you some more on gesture recognition, been digging into that after yesterday. When you start combining this with haptics and just how AR and VR are starting to play out in terms of just general life experience, it gets pretty crazy, pretty black mirror, pretty quick. And we're not that far away from it. All right. Speaking of going digital, All right. Yeah. Story number three. So Taco Bell has opened its first digital only store in New York City in Times Square. According to Chain Store Age, the restaurant is based on Taco Bell's urban oriented cantina format, which has a smaller footprint and more modern upscale environment with elements such as an open kitchen and a menu that includes alcoholic drinks. I love this story. And I think that like New York City is the perfect place to put this because Taco Bell, they make good food. But who in like Times Square wants to go into like a dingy Taco Bell and sit down and eat your chalupa when you could 
like a, this could just be a place to go and hang out and like enjoy eating the food while drinking a margarita. I think that this is super awesome. I don't think it's super applicable to anywhere other than like very large urban areas where you Ooh, don't really? have a drive through. I don't think how many people oh, go yes, into Taco Bell though. Oh, like oh. who? Okay. <laughs> well, so you're you're because you're you're playing in though like the the going into ta- you're you're playing into like what is it in terms of would you go into it where it is I think Anne you're thinking about it differently though right like you actually think this is the the concept here of digital only is widely applicable. Uh, yeah, I mean, in reality, I think we're going to start to see, especially after the pandemic closed, many of the QSR dine-in options. I mean, I know this one has a dine-in option, but I think that. I know this is not going to be a a popular opinion, but I don't see any reason why we have to have people that are working in the, in a Taco Bell anymore. I think it's, we're able to get, you know, things ordered correctly. Like, you know, where you're talking using voice activation to speak your order to a computer that can take your order. You have robots that can make most of the food in these spaces or kiosks and then delivery options will only continue to get better. I mean, whether it's temperature controlled lockers that you can pick up your food from, whether it's, you know, a, a robot coming out to your car and delivering the food. I just, I think that this is an area where we will start to see those jobs from the QSRs move into other types of gig economy positions where it's delivery positions, it's, you know, warehousing positions where you're, you're, you have different warehouses taking shapes, you know, in different places, which we'll talk about in, in some of the other stories perhaps, but I just, I don't see any reason why, why uh, the QSRs aren't moving to this format economically. It, it makes more sense. I know that there's the people part of it is hard to say that, but um but I think that th- those jobs will move to other categories that yeah. pay more likely too. I would imagine. So, yeah. And I want you to respond to that too. I mean, I think I actually, I'm coming down on this with Anne. Like, I think I, I, I think there's no reason not to have this in a QSR experience. I mean, I, I put on, on social media and it was pretty well engaged. I said, you put this in the in and and you know, I've been there a thousand times. You put this in the in and out on the Las Vegas strip where I can order ahead and just go get my stuff instead of having to wait half the experience is waiting in line. Mm-hmm. Right at In and Out, it takes me longer to probably get my food at In and Out than it does to eat it. You know, it goes in and out of me that fast. Like that's just how it works, right? Like, so like this type of structure makes a ton of sense, and I think it just it goes back to what we've talked about before. Like, the economy is moving from a pre-purchase world to a post-purchase world, and the jobs are going to develop around it. That's right. what's going to happen. And what scares me though, and I got into some kerfuffles on social media because I was taking a similar position to you, Anne. This stuff is coming. And, you know, you look 10 years out, I'm sorry, but some of these jobs are gone. And then we talked, we had the warehouse story a few weeks ago about how so many more jobs are moving towards fulfillment, but I'm sorry, automation is going to come in there too. And so like those jobs are going to be gone as well. So like, what is it that everyone's doing and how are we preparing for that? And that's part of the conversation that I, I literally can't read anything about that. I haven't, I can't even see any, I can't even remember the last day something like that came across my desk or my email inbox. So Emma, what do you what do you think based on what Anne said? I want to clarify. Generational the like sit, perspective. Yeah, the sit down concept, like an upscale sit down concept. Like I think that that's really an cool for urban areas. Concept. But the automated regular Taco Bell anywhere doesn't need people working in it. Like I agree with that. I went to one in Colorado where you order on like the app, and then they had a separate drive through line that you just went to one window, got your order because you said you were coming, and didn't have to communicate with a single person. They just like threw it out the window. I think like that makes total sense. And obviously that model should go across the country, but yeah, the sit down concept, I was like, that's kind of cool for a cool urban area. 
Yeah. You know what movie I watched with my kids recently? It was Wally. I had never seen that movie. Holy crap, did that movie know what the hell it was talking about? Like that, that that is some that is some fascinating stuff. Go back, rewatch that if you're listening or you haven't seen it yet before, because man, is it really germane to everything we do on a weekly basis? All right, story number four. I think Ann, you've got this one, right? I do. So Denver-based Choice Market has opened a checkout free store powered by AFI. So this market is 5,000 square feet. It is AFI's largest US uh, checkout free concept that they have launched. And in this experience, guests will be able to uh, scan their choice mobile app once they enter, uh, pick up their groceries and freshly prepared meals, and then leave the market without a traditional checkout experiences. And the guests receive then after their purchase a receipt uh, texted to them or, or given to them through the app. Now, I fought pretty hard for this story to come into the mix this week, and for that's for a few reasons. One, you know, this is the biggest execution we've seen from AFI. That's a big deal. This space has been heating up for a while, and I think now we're really starting to see the proof in the pudding here. People actually having to put concepts live, not just talking about doing a concept. Or, you know, AFI is known for doing these smaller container stores, but this is an actual store that they're deploying um, in the bottom of an apartment building. And that's where I'm really going to call your attention to for this story. So this store was designed specifically for the Golden Triangle neighborhood in Denver. And I think we're seeing this trend in, in real estate from New York City to Minneapolis, where developers of these buildings, these you know big condo buildings, they're getting extra floor area when they put a 5,000 square foot or larger grocery store concept in their space. Now that means the bigger the building they can build, the more money the developer makes. And I think you start to think about if you follow the money, we're going to start to see a lot more of these very small bodega style and bodegas enhanced with technology um, in the bottoms of our apartment buildings. So people don't have to leave. They can pick up their groceries. They can order from, you know, larger grocery needs from uh, delivery that can be delivered to these spaces too. And I think that we're going to see this smaller, um, cu- very highly curated neighborhood market space heat up quite a bit. Chris, you have some thoughts on this too, I know. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think, I think think your points are dead right. That's why I don't understand why Target or Walmart or anybody hasn't gotten off their ass and tried to go after this. because. The, the real important thing, I think, in what you're saying is actually the cost of that still matters for the consumer, right? And the bigger retailers can get scale in purchasing to make great experiences like this that are checkout free and beautiful. Like a, the 20,000 foot hyper format, you know, city target stores or flex, whatever the hell those things are called now. Those look nice. Like you could create a target store that is a convenient based thing like you're talking about at 5,000 square feet. Like same with Walmart, like take a spin on the neighborhood market. Like and you could give great prices to people. The hard part with the model you're talking about is like, usually you have to pay like this price premium to do it at all those locations, but you get the scale and purchasing power of a Walmart and a Target or some other retailer behind you or like a Dollar General or something, even somebody like that. Like your mind can go crazy with this. That's who should goddamn be doing this. And that's that's the indictment of the fact like, okay, now Amazon's doing a 30,000 foot grocery store, 30 to 40,000 foot grocery store. And we haven't even seen one of these from any of the big retailers, which just mm-hmm. pisses me off to no end. Okay, I tribe over. So that's point number one, because I think you're dead right. The second cool thing about this story, though, is this is a big installation. This is a big installation in the U.S. It's also camera only. Now, if you follow this this space, that's important. Amazon Go, remember to be camera only and also sensor fusion, i.e. understanding weight movement on the shelves. A lot of different uh, different, uh, checkout free companies play in one or the other or both. 
they're generally, they always have the cameras and then some of them play the other. You talk to the experts and they actually say, as you scale up, and we've talked to a lot of them, some form of set. And in fact, it just happened on our podcast with NVIDIA and AWM, some form of sensor fusion is required. Okay. In the shelving. So this is cool. But at what point does it top out? And does it top out is still something you have to keep in mind. The other thing I take from this, watch the video uh, on this. There's a video in terms of the articles that were breaking with their CEO. That dude seems to know what the hell he's talking about. I was super impressed with him. Mike Fogarty out of Choice Market. Um, so he's one to watch as well. But I don't know. Emma, what do you think? I just went on a huge diatribe there. That was important. Fairly well articulated. But anyway, <laughs> what do you think, Emma? I don't have much to contribute to this story other than I think Anne is like spot on with capturing the people that live in like a high rise above these things. Like I lived above Dinkytown Target. And do you know where the only place I got anything was from? Dinkytown Target because yeah, I just sure. rode the elevator down and it would be even better if it was more catered. I mean, it was catered to college kids with pretty much just frozen pizzas and beer. But if it like if I were living somewhere else and it were catered to my new kind of lifestyle and had checkout free technology, I wouldn't go anywhere else. So I think like it's a super brilliant concept. Yeah, actually, it's criminal criminal that Target hasn't even tried this yet. I mean, that that shows me a little bit like how there's there's still spaces for them to go. The other point about this too, Anne, and then I'll get off this high horse. You listen to Mike Fogarty talk about this. He doesn't talk about it. And I think he says it in a different way I haven't heard before. It's not just about redeploying labor or getting rid of the cashier labor. It's about putting them in the other things that matter. And when you start talking about computer vision technology, that's zoning shelves, making sure your presentations are restocked, helping people find what they need. So this isn't this isn't necessarily jobs are going away because he's right. Like that stuff is going to matter even more if you're going to make this stuff work. And yeah, last mile, like for the people that don't right, live in the apartment delivery. building, being able to curate and listen and get feedback from the people that live in that neighborhood about how to make their neighborhood bodega better. That was kind of cool too, because the whole thing is an app experience. And in that app experience, not only do you get the checkout free scan to get into the store and take whatever you want, you also get all the delivery options and things of that nature, you know, for your neighborhood too, which I thought that was pretty cool. And you're right. People are going to be needed to do that work. Okay. Last story. And you said you fought for that last one. I think you like gave up your firstborn for this one, but Amazon story number five, Amazon in the news again, is planning a new furniture assembly program. I was kind of, I don't know on this, but Ann might've convinced me as we were talking about it, but here's the gist. Amazon is now experimenting with a premium service that allows customers to opt in for furniture assembly and appliance installation as soon as their items are delivered to their home. Okay, so Bloomberg said in the report that the new service involves drivers not only delivering product to people's stores, but they'll actually assemble it, put it together. And if after they do that, you don't like it, they'll actually take it back. Now, this differs a lot from competitor services, where typically you have to schedule the installation or the setup in a different appointment. And then those, those same people also will not take the product back. So, Anne. Why'd you okay. If now? you have ever lived in or moved someone into or out of a New York City apartment, you will pay whatever they want for this service. I am in 100%. Not, namely, I mean, the delivery, I feel like that's always been around. Like everybody from Ikea to Wayfair to whoever, like they'll, yeah. you, you get delivery, you're paying for that. But for someone to assemble and then be like, nope, not going to work or in the same get half. Trip. Exactly. Or get half the bed put together and you're like, oh, shoot, this my measurements were way off and this right. is not going to fit. And now I can't get this fully constructed bed out of my apartment because I have one door and a pivot 
friends reference staircase to try to get down. Like, I don't want to deal with that. I will pay you whatever I need to, especially, uh, I looked on Amazon too, and Amazon's been offering, offering, you know, their, uh, a partner delivery or installment service, um, included with delivery for a while. The thing has 4.9 out of five stars with 1600 reviews. So they're already doing a great job of it. Um, I think now that it's tied into one universe, man, unstoppable. Yeah. Emma, what do you think? I'm going out with a bang on this one. This is the best story of Amazon I have ever heard in my Seriously? life. Seriously, As someone who has had to move every year for the past four years and some furniture can go, some can't. And now I got to move across the country. If someone could assemble my furniture for a fee that probably will not be that large because it's Amazon. And then do you know how many items I've kept that I hated after I assembled just because mm-hmm. I didn't want to disassemble it to return it? Like I have like a $5 broken Ikea chair that I use as like my desk chair because I just refuse to put it back or take it apart and return it. I think this is like incredible. And I was thinking last night, like I'm never one to really advocate for physical stores. However, what if Amazon made like a massive like furniture warehouse outside of a city? Which we you talked go about there. a few weeks ago. Yeah, you go there. You can see the product in real life. You don't have to take it home. You schedule someone to deliver it, assemble it, and then take it back if you don't want. Like that way you get the physical interaction and the service. Like couches don't fit in my car. So I need someone to deliver it, even if it's only a few miles. I love this. You love it. You love it. I I, I think I'm convinced, you know, and my background's whole furnishings too. Like I've spent time doing this and actually launched the first assembly program for Target probably in like 2015 or 16 with the furniture team that we, we, we were all working on that together. I can remember that in the patio team, like assembling grills and things like that. I think you got me. I think we've talked about this before. Like the thing about the home space, like, especially when you're talking about competition with Wayfair and even Walmart and Target and those guys, like it's all the same stuff. They're all selling the same stuff. It's all market produced goods available by dropship. It's just, you know, it's just the same stuff from all the different players. So this cuts through that and says, you know, why should you shop at Amazon for the same stuff? Because you get all of these things, right? Like, and this is a massive pain point, like you're describing. The other thing I wondered about too, and I hadn't thought about this until you, you and I started talking about this yesterday, like it might actually be cheaper. You're not having to schedule a separate return. The truck's already there. Yeah. How much is your time worth? Like right? to return the product anyway, like you got to put a price tag on that. Well, I mean, but I mean, from like Amazon's perspective, like they don't have to send another truck or the other service, the third party service doesn't have to send another truck out there. There might be some synergies in this, like from a delivery standpoint that, that just make it work. And then they can just dump it off as Emma said. And like we talked about a couple of weeks ago at one of these furniture outlet stores that might start popping up in the malls as, and you know, you were, you know, all four. So like, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a much, much cooler move than I think I initially realized. And definitely than I think we've seen people talking about in the media of late, like this is, this could be a big, big story in the long run. All right. Well, that wraps us up getting close here. We're going to have a clubhouse right after the close of this. We're going to send things over to clubhouse. Curious, Ann, Emma, which stories, because we're going to start based on what we, what we think here, which stories do you think we overallocated time to? Which stories do you think we underallocated our time to today? Oh man, I, that's a toss up. I, I'm excited to hear from people on clubhouse, um, about choice market. I think there's going to be a lot of input on just checkout free and, and as an extension, I think the news out of Amazon today about, um, the 30,000 square foot go grocery. Yeah. We might just have to talk about that. Emma, which story do you wish we had talked more about? 
I could talk about this Amazon furniture thing for like a day. So yeah. that's kind of where I'm wondering, I'm, wondering so we start. I'm, I'm wondering if we start there too. Yeah. It seemed like that was kind of cool. I'm curious if anyone else has any other insights on maybe like why it wouldn't work. Cause it seemed like we were all resolutely into it or why it isn't cool. All right. Like I said, that closes us up. Happy birthday today to Jack Nicholson. Any guesses how old Jack Nicholson is today? 82. Ooh, good guess. Emma. Emma thought you, you thought he was dead. I thought dead, he was right? dead. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's 84. He's 84. That's crazy. Machine Gun Kelly and oh, this one's good. Catherine Mary Stewart from The Last Starfighter. All you Last Starfighter and Lance Guest fans out there. Remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it OmniTalk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you, all within the preview pane of your inbox. Sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks as always for listening in. And please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. Also be sure to head over to Clubhouse at the top of the hour for Omnitalk Overtime to tell us what we got wrong and what we got right. And we will kick it off more of a discussion around Amazon and its new furniture assembly program. Emma, thanks again for everything you've done for us over the past few years. We are going to miss you dearly. This is your swan song. Enjoy Baltimore. And most importantly, as always, Emma, be careful out there. OmniTalk Fast Five is brought to you with the help and support of the AM Consumer and Retail Group. The AM Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And of course, also Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com. 